Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Praise God. We're now going to, uh, to pick up this brand new series, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm really excited about it. As Christmas comes, uh, people are focused on Christmas in different ways. I asked my daughter, she's going to not be thankful to me for bringing this up straight away. But I said, what do you look forward to the most at Christmas? And she said, roast potatoes. <laughs> and I've got to say, I think that would be high on my list, followed by gifts. That was, it was in that order. Um, but I love roast potatoes, don't you? I just, I just love them. Anyway, uh, so interesting. Christmas is a time of festivities. It's a time where most of society doesn't really acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. They, they, they like the festivities. They like the traditions. They love traditions. I think community love traditions, but they don't really want to take on board sometimes what these traditions mean. Having said that, there's something going on in the UK. There is definitely a move going on in society where people are softer to the gospel. Their people actually want to know the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And I suggest that if you were to sit down with someone and say, could I spend... 15 minutes asking you what you know about who Jesus is, you'd open up a huge and interesting conversation. Because I think people are interested to know who Jesus is. Uh, and the information just doesn't come through the media these days very much. So it's so a great opportunity for us. But as we look at this series over this Christmas period, and it's December next week, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, December next week, uh, th- we're going to be picking up on the humanity of Christ the, the previous series was Movement and Multiplication 4. It was all about the Holy Spirit, the power of God, us stretching ourselves and taking on risk and challenge and pressure and opportunity and seeing God move. But I, I just felt it was very important that for this series we start to relate to who Jesus is in his humanity as well as his divinity, as well as his power. Why is his humanity so important for us? And so as I introduce the series this morning, we'll be looking at it. So, um, you know, the divinity... That, that's the godliness of God and the humanity, the, the, the human nature of God in Christ. They're two really important dimensions in who Jesus is. And over the years and the decades and the generations, people have argued about what's more important, the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. Um, some religious groups would say that uh, they put down one side of his, who he is, and they would play it down and big it the other side up. In fact, some cults would, would say that Jesus was born a man and then had to learn how to become a god. In fact, he was, he was never god until he kind of... Which is not true. That's a heresy. And in the New Testament, um, we read about, you know, there were movements and sects that also had similar sort of weird thoughts. And one uh, particular group as well uh, had a group, uh, had a view that God was... Uh, Jesus was only God. There's no way he could have been a man. Um, and in fact, that, that, that thinking, that kind of false theology is called deceitism. It sounds very similar to being deceitful, doesn't it? Deceitism. Uh, but it's spelt slightly differently. But uh, they would put forward this idea that God couldn't really become a human being. And therefore, it was, you know, he couldn't do those miracles. He couldn't have been, had all that power. couldn't have changed the lives he did and, and still be man. Uh, and actually, that's very dangerous, because once you take away the humanity of who Jesus is, then actually you undermine the whole of salvation. 
And we're going to look at that this morning. There's a little bit of theology in here, but it's important. The undermining of the humanity of Jesus is very, very dangerous. His humanity is what enabled him to, to be the sacrifice for us. He had to be. And we're just going to step through that by way of setting a foundation. But um, in 1 John 1, verse 1, it says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. What this describes is, is Jesus Christ becoming incarnate, becoming a human being. It says he existed from the beginning. So Jesus was there right at the beginning of everything. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, together they existed. You know, you may find that hard to stretch your minds around, but Jesus Christ existed as God at the very beginning of creation. It says in the Bible that all things were created by him, for him, and through him. So in fact, he was right in the authorship of creation. And that's why the Bible calls him the Word. Because uh, So Jesus isn't just that personality or that picture you've seen on an oil painting or a movie. You know, it, he, he was right at the beginning. And what he chose to do in agreement with the Trinity was that he would take on human form because it was the only way to, to, to do what God wanted him to do. Now, we know that um, there are all sorts of religions and philosophies in the world. And uh, some, would, some would say that um, you, you know, religions are held by a race of people or um, they're held by a particular philosophy, they're held by a country, they're held by national boundaries. But it's not the same with Christianity. In Christianity, it's not a place, philosophy, country, race. It's not a tradition. Christianity is not a tradition. Christianity, Christianity is not even a denomination. And some people get really strung out about that. Christianity is Jesus Christ. He's the center, the beginning, and the end of everything to do with Christianity. It's Jesus Christ. You know, when I go to the Middle East, if ever I go to the Muslim world, there's a real danger of using the word Christian because they think of Christian as being American. And it just shows you how cross-culturally context just distort how people see. But the but true Christianity is Jesus Christ himself, nothing more and nothing less. It's the divinity and humanity of Christ himself. That is what Christianity is. It cannot be anything else. And so we're going to focus on that. You know, um, I've been away a lot recently. I didn't make a big thing about going to Nepal just recently, but it was a pre-planned visit with, um, in my role as national leader for mission in AOG. And on behalf of the 600 churches here in the UK, I... I We'd started a project back in 2015, and together we partnered with a, a quite a big Christian charity, humanitarian charity called Christian Aid. And Christian Aid, together with us in AOG, we decided that we would put some money into projects around the earthquake back in 2015. You remember there was a devastating earthquake in Nepal. Um, thousands of houses were, were you know, demolished and fell down, and a lot of people were killed. And so this project kick-started, and it was in my calendar to go out and they said it's going to be in four-by-fours and it's going to be off-road. And I, I was planning to work because they said it was a seven-hour journey from Kathmandu up into the project here. So I thought, oh, great, I can work on the way. No, <laughs> that's not how it worked. I'll just show you a photo of it. It does link with the message this morning, but we had two four-by-fours uh, and it was virtually off-road from the edge of Kathmandu for another five hours. And then, and then we got to where we thought was the destination and discovered there's another four hours going vertically uh, the following morning. Uh, in the end, those two four-by-fours had to be replaced because they failed. One lost its four-by-four 
and the other one lost all its brakes. Uh, and we were up very, very high, let me tell you. A part of our thinking this morning about the humanity of Christ is developing confidence. And let me tell you, there's a lot of praying going on in those vehicles, and there's a lot of loss of confidence, but we survived it. Uh, why did we go to see what has been done um, in those projects? But that initially was just a few tens of thousands of pounds. Uh, Christian Aid have carried on the work over two years, and they've seen more than 8.6 million come in to, to rebuild houses and do all sorts of things uh, you know, to help the local people, which is amazing. So, but it was very, very severe, and as we were involved in this, um, the rain came, the darkness came, and we were stuck up a mountain. We were over 10,000 feet at times. And then we ended up having to stay, not in a hotel, but in a monastery, which is not part of the plan. And in the, at night time, it was pitch black, couldn't see anything. In the morning, that's what we saw. Um, and then we were served breakfast at sort of 7 a.m. By, by monks, which is surreal. <laughs> Can't get, but why do I bring that up? Because as much as we respect other people's faiths and beliefs and philosophies, we got to look at truth. And in the Buddhist world, um, there is no recognition of a divine creator. There is no supreme God or, or being. It's a philosophy. It's a sort of eight-way path to, to discovering truth through, and, through different experiences you have in life that may lead you through reincarnation and all sorts of things. Now, what it strikes me is that that belief system is very much tied up into fixing the weaknesses and the struggles on the inside and what I think about when I reflect against the faith we carry as followers of Christ in Christianity is that God knows you can't do it for yourself. And in fact, Jesus had to become incarnated so that we could rely on what he's done for us and, and not rely on ourselves. There's a huge difference. And, and um, so it was an interesting and challenging time just to, to think that through. But as we come to Christmas, um, we should be asking ourselves questions, not just what will my gift be, <laughs> Um, but what will my life be? What will my life be? And the people in your world need to ask that question. What will their life be tomorrow? What's it going to become? And during the series, we want to, to stimulate that conversation. And so we have to ask the question, um, why did Jesus become human? And if we can set this foundation, we can build on it and look at his humanity and all the other good things. But it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God, uh, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. This is huge. It's huge. You can you kind of encapsulate in God's eternal plan in just two, two sentences here. When the right time came, you see, there's a right time for everything. Today may be your right time to respond to the call of Christ in your life. Maybe the, the challenge to change how we do what we do. But at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. You see, Jesus had to be human to be subject to the law. Um, animals are not subject to the law. Um, and angels are not subject to the law. Uh, human beings are subject to God's law, the written commandments and God's law. Um, human beings are. So to satisfy the needs of the law, a human being had to be the one to satisfy it sinlessly. And that's where Jesus took that upon himself. God sent him to buy freedom from us who were slaves to the law. You see, um, if we don't have our trust in Christ, we become slaves. Slaves to to what the world does. Slaves to the way this, the world thinks, the way the world behaves and and to be untangled from the potential disasters of all that 
uh, Jesus bought us with his own life. That's what he did. But he had to be a human being to do it. If he wasn't a human being, he couldn't have satisfied that requirement of being under the law. And the, the whole of salvation would be undermined. But he had to live perfectly and he had to live sinlessly in order to be able to do what God needed him to do. Uh, it says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Huge gravity in this. Huge gravity. You cannot make yourself saved. You can't even build your own faith, really, apart from responding to Christ. You, he's the one who deposits a gift of faith in your life, and he's the one who strengthens that faith. But as you respond to him, then you see your faith increase as well. So there is a relational faith growth. But God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins. Um, so we have to trust in him. That, that's, the, that's the compelling need. We have to trust in him. Uh, but the law also requires the shedding of blood. And in the Old Testament, we know that the, the, the scriptures talk about sacrifices. And uh, Why is that? Because the law that God created, if he's the creator of the universe, he created the law. He said, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so there were sacrifices all the time. And praise God, we don't have to sacrifice in a church. There's no blood spill in here. It's because we trust in Jesus. And, and this verse in Hebrews, the New Testament, tells us, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for sin. So... He becomes the, 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 the substitute. He's the, the perfect sacrifice because he was sinless. And that's the divine exchange that we talk about. The incarnate Jesus Christ becomes a living human sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. You can't do it. And we live, the trouble is, as people, we live in this, but my life is all about me. <laughs> so, you know, even as followers of Christ, we can become so about ourselves that we... We kind of almost box Christ out of some things. It's easier for us to think of Jesus as being God in heaven, and then we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and we can pray. But actually, we kind of, there's a big natural human inclination, the wall that's in the flesh, the Bible calls it, to push Christ out of our experience. As we push him away, we become victims or potential victims of what can happen in life. And uh, the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, but Christ's blood was shed, and so our sins can be forgiven, and they are forgiven if we believe in him. And it says in 1 John 4, By this you know the Spirit of God. Um, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, in other words, this verse is saying, believing in the humanity of Jesus is critical to our own salvation. He, we've got to know that he was God who became man and the process that we understand. So salvation becomes possible because he's a man. There's a bishop uh, from the 14th century called Athanasius, and he wrote a really profound thing, or made this statement. He became what we are so that, we, so that he could make us what he is. I love this. He became what, what we are, humans, so that he could make us what he is. We are unable to do that. So false religions that would say, no, you can become a god, is just a lie. It's not. What you become is a follower of Christ. That's what you become. And he secures your eternity. That's how it works. Um, our, our trust is not in ourselves. It's in him. And in Philippians 2, 6 and 7, we read, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or servant, and was born as a human being. He gave up. So Jesus had these two natures, God, uh, his deity, and his humanity existing in him. He didn't, 
He didn't lose them. He chose not to exercise his divinity. That's what he did. So he could have called the angels from heaven and got them out of every difficult situation, but he didn't. He chose to walk through humanity, living, eating, experiencing what you and I have to experience. Why? Because he needed to do that for us, because it helps us to have confidence and trust in him. I'll give you an example of how this might work. You know, I've got three daughters when they were younger. I used to sit in the lounge, sit on the carpet. Uh, I used to love sitting on the floor. I don't know why that was it. But occasionally, my daughters, one or two of them, would come up behind me and sit behind me, and, um, and, and they'd start to brush my hair. Uh, that's why things have got a little bit... <laughs> uh, you know, but who just loves their hair being stroked? or bro- it's, There's something ever so soothing about that, isn't there? There's something very relaxing. It's a, bi- a bit like Nyla. When I see Luke and Amelia and the little baby, I just want to go... <laughs> But it's ever so relaxing, and they catch me off guard, my daughters used to, and they'd take it one step further, and they'd start to get little things they could attach. And I, I find I was getting these little twirly things with, um, with um, hair gel and then ribbons and things. I didn't realize quite the damage that was being done. And then, then they'd say, well, do you mind if we spray on you? And then do, do you mind if we add a bit of color? And it was good that they asked, and I'm kind of like dopey and thinking, oh, well, this is okay, I'm losing track. And before long, they're on to the makeup. And, uh, and, and I remember one time having a conversation, do you think I should preach like this? And they, they thought it was a great idea. Anyway, no. Um, but um, so I didn't cease to be dad because I did those things. I just chose not to be the authoritarian, I just chose to be at that level. And, and that's a little bit of a poor example of how. God has done it with us. He, he's chosen to get in and put aside those things that he can be so that he can be like us and with us and so he can walk with us. And, um, but he still didn't cease to have those rights. He just refused to accept them. Um, so uh, hopefully that gives you the, the idea. So his Im- humanity is important because um, his humanity gives us position, uh, permission to be human. And we read in Isaiah, the Old Testament, there was nothing beautiful and majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. There was nothing to attract us. You know, I talked about Mel Gibson in the earlier service. You know, we think of, I'm not saying Mel Gibson, well, he was, wasn't he? Um, you know, he, he acted as Jesus Christ. And, um, and you see the movie stars take on, the, and you sort of picture a picture of, of, of Jesus uh, as being a sort of, you know, pe- perhaps even Western, maybe blue-eyed and, you know, shaved beard, looking great with the... Ro- it just all looks too pretty, really. Uh, and, and even though it's a bit raw in some examples, we still got this image that there was something that would draw us to him. But actually, it says there was nothing beautiful and majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Why? Because he wanted to be there on his own merits. And, uh, but let me just tell you this. Um, he had a mum. This is the humanity of Jesus. He had a mum. He obeyed his parents. He had brothers. He had James and Jude. He was tempted. He was very popular. Um, he was funny. He had friends. I, I think Jesus was probably had a great sense of humour. Really, it doesn't really come out when we preach, but I think there's a great sense of humour in, in the Bible in places. And um, the trouble with humour is it can be distorted, can't it? And it can become you know, not the right thing. But I think Jesus would have had a great sense of humour. He hung out with 12, 13 disciples. He camped out with them for three years. You've got to have a sense of humour to do that. And you know, guys, they banter. You don't have to be with someone for more than 10 minutes and you start cracking jokes about things. And I'm sure Jesus had a really healthy sense of humour and, uh, and was a man's man. Um, 
And uh, he, he went to meals with people. He was invited to parties. He went to weddings. He was, in fact, he, was, he became the life and soul of some of them. So he had a great personality. Uh, he loved kids. He loved the poor. And he loved the rejected. He loved those that others looked down upon. He loved those um, and still does. Um, he knew what it was to be hungry, to be thirsty. He knew what it was to be ripped off. Someone close to him ripped him off. And um, he knew what it was to be happy. He knew what it was to be sad. He knew what it was to work hard. He knew what it was to study. He knew, what, he knew all these things. In Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He went through a process of growing. He knew what it was to do these things. And, um, and yet, that wasn't the end of it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize um, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. This is the humanity of Christ. He had to work at who he was to protect the future for us. He had to be a human being that did not allow. He had to be disciplined. He had to do things in the right way. And he has a huge amount of sympathy for us. He understands what we go through. Um, he, uh, he can relate fully to our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses might be that we get exhausted. We get frustrated. We get tired. People betray us. We get sad. We find love fails in our world. We put our trust in someone and, and they don't do what you thought they would do. We misunderstand. We hear that people have talked about us. We, we hear, I mean, life is full of these things. And the trouble is, in those weak moments, we, start, we have a danger that we can isolate ourselves from God because we, we think God doesn't understand that or I've got to somehow get through on my own. That's not it. We have one who has been through all that. He's been tempted in every way. If he's been tempted in every way, he's been tempted to eat too much, to drink too much. You know, he's been tempted to steal. He didn't steal. He was tempted, you know, in every way. And we're tempted. We get tempted to deceive people. The trouble is we do. <laughs> That's the difference. We have done and we do and we will do. We, um, we're tempted in sexual areas. And those things can cripple our life and cripple our families and cripple our relationships. We're tempted in pride and arrogance. We're tempted to reject God. In fact, we're even tempted to blame God. And so often we can stick up the, God, why didn't you do that for me argument? I deserved it and you didn't give it to me and you didn't come through when I wanted you to. And so we say, right, I'm having nothing to do with God. And we separate. And we say, well, God, why didn't you heal when I wanted you to heal? How come you didn't do it on my terms? How come you... And you know what? Jesus knows about this. We have a high priest who's, who's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses are that we put ourselves in the place of control. That's what happens. Our weakness is that it's about us. We make life about us all the time. It's always about us. No matter how generous we are, how courteous we are, how giving and whatever, you know, when it comes down to it, we tend to do what we want to do. And we make our opinions and judgments about other people based on our own experience and journey. And Jesus knows all about it. He knows all about it because it happened to him. He knows how hard it is 
He knows how difficult it is to cope with illness, to cope with weakness, to cope with failing health. His best friends died. You know, situations happened. He's, he experienced it all. He experienced every temptation. But that enables us to relate to him. In Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This would be the centre of what I'm saying today. His humanity allows us to build confidence to know that he knows us. He knows what we've been through. knows what life's about. And the scripture says, uh, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's take our confidence. You might be lacking confidence there. You might be feeling like you're worn out physically, emotionally. You, everything could have gone wrong. But he says, take what confidence you've got and bring it to my throne of grace. Because there you receive something. When you bring your confidence, you receive mercy. You find grace and it will help you in your time of need. And what's mercy? It's forgiveness because you're messing up all the time just like I am. And the trouble is there's no, none of us are good enough to be God. So when we get it wrong, we need God's mercy. Otherwise, we just have, who can be so proud and arrogant to say I'm better than somebody else? None of us. You know, you may be a do-gooder. You may, be, you may not be a do-gooder. You, might, you may have all the reasons under the sun to say that's why I'm really good. And it doesn't count for very much when you compare yourself to who Christ is. You know, but it does matter what we do. It does matter that we care. It does matter that we serve. It does matter that we're generous. It does matter that we give. You, and you may say, well, I'm not lacking confidence. Supposing I say to you, well, why don't we increase our giveaway from double to treble? <laughs> the financial, why don't, why don't we treble our giving to cap this year? Mm, our confidence starts to get a bit less confident. Why? Because we start to think, oh, have I got enough finance? I've, you know, we might we start to change. Confidence is, is sometimes sits on one thing, but when we start to change the perspective, our confidence starts to go. When I, when I was up that mountain in Nepal, I've got to say my confidence was pretty on the edge of things. But we come to God with our confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Really important for us. You know, right now, uh, the world is full of people who lack confidence. Um, Zimbabwe, massive change in society. I was talking to Deborah about... Uh, Mugabe, who's 93, and he was in power for 37 years, I think, and uh, the average age of the population is around 35 or something. There's some, some dynamic there. So some people have never experienced um, him not in leadership. But they, they, the country lacks confidence. They want a new leader to bring confidence. Even on Friday at the Ox, at Oxford Circus, did you see the thing on the news? Hundreds of people running up Oxford Street because they thought they heard two, shot, uh, two guns fired. Um, 17 people ended up in hospital and, and one very seriously, all because of something that wasn't real. People are on the edge of confidence all the time. And we, we've got to take our confidence and run to Christ. And this morning, um, that's our challenge. It's our challenge to come to God. God doesn't love us because we are good. God makes us good because he loves us. So we can bring everything to Christ. In fact, that's what we've got to do. We've got to break down the barriers between us and him and just bring it all to him. God doesn't love us because we're good. God makes us good because he loves us. And, and then finally, Emmanuel. This is interesting because the word Emmanuel first appeared in the scriptures in the Old Testament in Isaiah 7. And this is what it says. Isaiah was saying to a king, actually, he was saying to King Ahaz, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
you realise that king at that time was about to go into a major battle with two other kings and everything was coming against him and God had said to Ahaz, um, just ask me for anything that will prove that I'm going to stand with you. And he was so weak in himself, he didn't know what he could ask for. And then Isaiah came in with this statement. And that's the direct statement that is used in the New Testament in Matthew 1, verse 23, about Jesus coming into our situation. Why? Because those enemies that come against you, those things that pressurize your life, sometimes you just don't know how to get through. But the humanity of Christ, God with us, will get us through. And for that, I'm excited. And God with us means that he will guide us and he will help us. The with bit is the guiding and the helping. That's what it means. It means he will guide and he will help. It's not just that he appeared. It's that he will guide us and he'll help us. Those two things are really important. And as we um, sort of come to the end of the message this morning, I spent some time with a friend of mine recently who was a Christian leader. His confidence was really smashed to bits for reasons that are private to him and to me. But he lost his confidence as a young boy and it led him on a path, even though he trusted in Christ and he gave his life to Jesus and became a follower of Christ, his confidence was really smashed and he ended up getting married. But what happened was he'd started to develop some patterns of behavior. He, he kind of boxed Jesus out of parts of his life. And so he, he started to become addicted to certain things. He got into sexual things that were not appropriate and then that moved into gambling not high levels, and it was all kind of harmless. It was just him, but it wasn't harmless, really, because as he took those into his marriage, his marriage suffered, and eventually his wife left him, and they have two kids. And, and I, I spent some time with him recently, and after two years, finally, he's cleaned up. And I just think, well, this is the throne of grace, that no matter how smashed up life has been, you can come to God and you can see and experience not only his mercy, but his grace to succeed. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song now. Come on, team, and join me. Um, I'm excited. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, we can't do stuff on our own. We have to involve Christ in what we do and how we do it. We have to. And it's so tempting for a believer to keep Jesus out of our situations. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you do the same thing intuitively. We have to choose to get him involved. What would he do in my situation? So we're going to sing a song now, and then we'll close the service. But I just want you to think about that. What does this mean for me? If God is with me, willing to be with me, what should I think about? Thanks, guys.